0: The following program is a presentation of Taylor Productions. Welcome back to the Easy Speak podcast, the podcast dedicated to children's speech and language needs. This is episode number five, and I'm your host, Dr. Reed Taylor. Today we have a special program planned for you. The topic is developmental milestones for speech, language, and motor growth. But uh, also, this is a first uh, in terms of a show being recorded on location. We're here on the campus of New Jersey City University (NJCU) at the Children's Language, or rather, Children's Learning Center, which is under the direction of Dr. Carrie Giordano. I'd like to thank Dr. Giordano for arranging today's On Location event. My guest at the microphone is Dr. Patricia Iacobacci. Uh, She is currently a professor of special education at NJCU, New Jersey City University, and uh, also she has a background in the Department of Communication Disorders and Sciences at NYU, And you were there for 26 years. 26 years. 26 years. And also, you have a great deal of clinical experience at uh, the Rose F. Kennedy Center, uh, Rusk Rehabilitation Center. Uh, You were a teacher of deaf students. Yes. At uh, where is this now? At the
1: Kellier Speech and Hearing Center. Dallas.
0: Okay, also uh, educational supervisor at the Houston School for Deaf Children. And I did not realize you had so much uh, experience with consulting internationally.
1: Yes, yes, that's one of my favorite things to do.
0: And and where, what countries were you in?
1: Um, Indonesia was a large evaluation project. Uh, Greece, several times for working with teachers of hearing impaired, lectures and, and training. Um, I have also been observer in China, um, I've been into Tur- in Turkey and South America, and co- that's all I can think of right now. That's enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: very impressive. Well, as I stated earlier, uh, today's topic has to do with developmental milestones for speech, language, and motor growth uh, among children. And I think I'm going to need Dr. Yakobachi to help me address this huge and uh, complex topic. Uh, My decision to do today's show grows out of a real-life situation that occurred about two years ago. A colleague of ours came to me with some concern about her grandson, who was about a month or two shy of his second birthday. Apparently, the child was attending a daycare center where the teachers voiced concerns about the boy's speech and language skills. Uh, they reported to the grandmother that he needed speech therapy because he was not yet speaking. Something had to be wrong with him, and the speech therapist there felt that he should be consult- rather uh, tested immediately and put into speech therapy. Now, initially, the grandmother, who happens to be a special educator, uh, didn't pay much attention to their concerns. But uh, these people, the uh, daycare workers, the speech therapists, continued to uh, speak with uh, the grandmother about their concerns for her grandson's speech and language. So the grandmother turned to me for advice. Now, I knew this child from infancy, and I couldn't understand what the big fuss was all about. From my own casual uh, observations over time, there didn't seem to be any kind of delay or disorder that I could detect in this little guy. Still, I did make arrangements to perform an an evaluation of his speech and his language skills. In the end, I concluded that the child's ability to express his needs, um, his wants, and his feelings was developmentally on target. There was no problem there. And also his ability to understand what is said to him uh, was developmentally um, ahead of schedule by about a month. So there was absolutely nothing wrong with this little guy, nothing to be worried about. In fact, this little child is now in your daycare center. Um, Dr. Iacobacci, how important is it for parents, for teachers, and even pediatricians to know something about uh, speech and language development?
1: It's of dire importance. I have, in my years of experience, many parents have told me that they talked to their pediatrician and the pediatrician said, wait, there's not an issue. Child is just going to be late, and he'll start or she will start talking in a few months. Don't worry about it. Well, sometimes the pediatrician is correct 10% of the time. But the rest of the time, the 90% of the time, there is an issue that develops. Um, so it is extraordinarily important that people realize, especially the medical and the um, educational system. Well,
0: let's take a look at some of the stages of development and talk about uh, some of the the key behaviors that all of us need to be aware of. I know there's little time for us to work in, so let's just, I guess, uh, highlight a few of the behaviors right now. One of the areas that I'm very interested in happens to be the stage of zero to six months. And believe it or not, there's a lot going on in terms of communication development, even at that stage. But one of one of the things that really stands out for me uh, that I still find very interesting, and when I bring it up in my classes, the students are like on the edge of their seats, is that crying is a very very important part of communication development.
1: It is there. Are different differentiation in crying, different intonations come in. Different needs. Uh, a very intense cry means come here right now. A very soft cry usually is a soothing. I need to be soothed." Um, each parent, um, or mother and father, will come quickly to understand what the cries mean, and it is a form of communication.
0: Especially if somebody responds. Absolutely. I, I was talking with a group of students of mine, and we came up with a list of different uh, needs that can be expressed just by crying pain. Hunger, attention, pick me up, put me down—those sorts of things. If there is no differentiation in the cries, and by that I'm talking about how pitch, how Mm -hmm. intensity, the duration of the the cry—if a parent doesn't hear that, does that mean that there's a problem? It means let's
1: watch. Um, Let's watch observe the child. Observe the child. There are cries that are high pitched and uh, intense that usually mean some type of issue for communication is going to develop, if not already developed. Um, So it is differentiation of cry you should look for as a parent.
0: Now what about babbling? Um, I understand that more and more pediatricians are asking questions of the parents in terms of, you know, do you notice that the child is babbling? First of all, what is babbling?
1: Uh, babbling is making sounds that really correspond to our, I'll say, English uh, phonology, our English sounds. And the first babbling is cooing. And that could be vowels like oo, and sometimes putting a consonant like doo, coo, not, well the K comes in if the child's laying flat and the tongue falls back. Uh, If the child's sitting up, there's no K.
0: So there's different babbling depending upon the position
1: of the infant? Yes, yes. That's very interesting. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, The the tongue needs to be strong enough to pull back for making a K. That won't occur for a few months. The uh, infant from zero to three will not be able to do that sitting up.
0: Now, by the time the child is six months, if a parent says to me that they've never noticed any babbling in their child, I seem to, I do get worried. Now, is that valid? Should I be concerned?
1: Very valid. Very valid. Children, from the cries to the cooing to different stages of babbling, this all comes in with the first, the babbling from uh, three to, I would say, eight or nine months before it goes to a bigger, larger stage of babbling. Uh, Jargon, we call it. Uh, If a child is not making sounds for meaning, there is an issue. There is a big problem.
0: One thing that I noticed, and I don't know if uh, I'm being an alarmist, but I've noticed that in each family history or or history of the uh, child, medical history, if a parent... If I have a child who has autism, there is a history of no babbling. Now, I don't know if the literature supports that, that they didn't babble at all at uh, zero to six months. Some
1: do, though. Mm -hmm. Um, Many don't. Some do babble. Uh, My primary concern is hearing impairment. If a child is, uh, well, a child will babble, but they won't babble. The hearing-impaired child will babble. But around six months, the babbling stays at the same level, and it doesn't progress. And um, this is a definite sign of getting hearing checked. So autism and hearing, autism is recognized now around one to two months, which has not moved over to the medical group yet. And what the research is showing is that by eye gaze, You can tell if a child is going to be connected to you if you're holding an infant. Will the infant look in your face? Does the infant turn to sound? Does the infant try to smile back to you? If those aren't occurring, those are huge, huge indicators that we're overlooking as evaluators and as uh, medical, uh, as the pediatricians, because you can very early look, f- f- see signs of autism, and watch that child. Now, you mentioned
0: uh, hearing. Sound localization is also something that I look for in zero to six months. What exactly is that? Would you explain that to us? Uh,
1: yes, sound localiz- localization. Um, if you're holding a child and the child's looking at you, and uh, let's say a horn beeps and it's loud, child should kind of turn. Um, or either gear uh, shift their eyes towards that sound. That's local localization either to the right or to the left of um, the child. They will look at the source of the sound or where it comes from.
0: And that could also be speech. They would orient towards the people who are talking. Right? Absolutely. So, but if a child does not do that, if he does not localize, that does not necessarily mean that there's a hearing impairment, does it? Could could it also be an indicator of um, developmental delay?
1: Yes, it can be. Mm-hmm. Yes, it can
0: be. N- next, uh, I wanted to take a look at another area uh, or age range, 7 to 12 months. Now, this is very interesting. Here, somewhere around 7, maybe 8 months, the babbling turns into something else called jargon. jargon. And I love listening to jargon. Would you tell our listeners what jargon is?
1: Yes. Um, jargon is where the child has progressed with their uh, babbling to where it sounds like the pattern of the language that they hear around them. So um, you would hear intonation. A question might be, o uh You
0: don't understand a word the child is saying. You don't understand saying,
1: a word. It's still babbling. But
0: you know he's asking a question. But he's,
1: the, he's, he's looking at you, and he's asking a question, and... Um, You hear that upward intonation, which in our language uh, uh, means a question. Um, If he's making a statement, it will be with a downward uh, inflection um, because he's just said something and we do not need an upward um, inflection for Mm -hmm. declaring something. Um, I have an interesting case. Just recently at my house, I had visitors, and they have a fifteen month old child and she 's motorically advanced, cognitively wonderful uh, very advanced, uh, but her speech and language wasn 't on par to our uh, developmental milestones and I was listening and I asked the mom, Do you speak English to her? Because the mom speaks Shauna. She's from um, Zimbabwe. And the dad is from Kenya, and I, I'm not sure what language they speak in Kenya. So when mom talks to people from Zimbabwe, she uses her own language. When dad talks to p- his friends and his family from Kenya, he talks to his own language. And the child has about 10 to 12 English words that you can understand, where at 15 months she should have more mm-hmm. than that. Um, but her jargon is really unbelievable. And she'll go on and on and on and have a conversation and jargon with you and a few English words. I really feel that she has heard her parents with the different languages. And we call that incidental learning. Um, they don't think they're talking to her in another language, but here she is picking it up while she's playing. So I, I really don't feel in this case that she has a language delay, but is trying to incorporate what she hears in her environment. Um, and that's another evaluation issue.
0: Mm-hmm. Now- Parents often ask me, uh, well they tell me that when they hear their child jargoning, of course they say they don't understand what this child is saying, but they don't know how to respond. And I say just guess.
1: Guess. Guess. Use your For, best cognitive right. guess, yes. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and uh, respond in some way to this child so that he learns what? That uh, what?
1: Interactive communication, which is extraordinarily important. And I have had parents say to me, well, you know, he doesn't have words or she doesn't have words. Why should I talk to her? I've heard that. Uh, Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's imperative to talk to babies, to talk to developing toddlers, uh, just to talk about what's in the environment. Read books, um, point out uh, characters, point out objects, point out label things that are... Your, the toys in the house, or if you're in the play center, um, what's in the play center?
0: But that's that's also a, a very important uh, experience in cause and effect. This child learns that even as I make sounds, somebody stops, stops, and acknowledges me, speaks to me, even if I don't know what the child is saying. Just the idea of getting down on the child's level, which I'm sure everybody here in the, yeah. the daycare knows about, uh, says or gives a, the child a very important message. Yes. Now, in in the jargon, um, should the parent be listening for, or or the teacher be listening for true words at some point? Does that happen, or do they just suddenly start speaking?
1: No, no. uh, Some students, some some, um, children will jargon and and include some words, just as I was talking about before. Um, But they will soon go into a two-word production. And this is usually 18 to 24 months. Now, uh, speech therapists are really kind of looking at it to occur around 18 to 20 months. Uh, But the developmental chart gives us to 24 months before being very concerned about this. So if you hear jargon and some words, that's going to progress or should progress into two word combinations.
0: As the child gets older, um, I understand around somewhere between 13 and 18 months they actually do have an expressive vocabulary. But, but how many, about how many words would you expect a child that young to have?
1: At 18 months, now this is of course a norm and we have to be cautious with norms. At uh, 18 months a child should have 50 understandable words. Now understandable does not mean the speech is clear. Doggy might be goggy, which is perfectly a developmental speech Mm -hmm. progression. Um, But you understand that to mean the doggy. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, sometimes words are made up by the child, but they are used consistently for an object. So if the 18-month-old asks for his beeziba, and that's his pacifier, and that's what it's always called... We call that a word, because there is Mm -hmm. a cognitive connection to that item.
0: Now, most of their words are going to be nouns, verbs. Does it really seem to... uh, to
1: Early research said nouns, but I have worked with some kids who have verbs first, action words first, but in general, it's usually naming nouns, and I don't see anything wrong if... Are of, of question if verbs come first. Sometimes the kids like action. Um, but if they don't develop into using nouns or or object lab, labels for objects, that's an issue. Now somewhere
0: between 19 and 24 months, you're getting, a, a, in typically developing children, you're getting more and more actual words. But my students here, when I talk about communication in very young children, they're very surprised when I tell them that the child's receptive language is going to be much greater than their expressive could you address that
1: uh yes um usually receptive language and that means that what they hear not say what they're hearing is usually around 12 months above their their speech that output much. that's yes. that's phenomenal yeah so
0: they're understanding what you're saying, but they're not expressing those same kinds of words or concepts. They're
1: yet. not expressing. Um, so they're taking it in, guys. Be careful what you say. Oh, definitely be careful what you, what you say. Uh, we all know about children picking up the words that they shouldn't pick up, and they only heard it one time. And that's that's supposed to be supposed to be a child will not understand a word until they hear it around. Uh, used to be five hundred times. Now it's around oh, they have to hear it at least 50 times. Mm-hmm. Well, we all know that some children pick up words, hearing it one or two times, and especially words they're not supposed to know.
0: Well, okay, well, be careful what you say about your mother-in-law, because it might come out of the child's mouth at some point.
1: No, Now, in terms
0: of their speech, the actual physical production of speech sounds, how understandable, how intelligible is a child in the age range of about 19 to 24 months? Now, I don't know, in the daycare, are you seeing children uh, as, as young as 24 months or a little bit older, a little bit older? How, when are we hearing adult-like speech?
1: Okay. There is a normal period of what we call in development of um, speech the phonological processes period. This is a period where it sounds like they're making errors, but it's normal development, so we shouldn't be worried. Mm -hmm. Just like goggy, that's a backing of the D, um, is doggy. Um, So backing
0: of the D is where they take the D and just put it in the back? In the back, and they're saying
1: goggy instead Mm -hmm. of doggy. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not an error. It's definitely not an it's not an era until around three years old
0: so if you're hearing that in a two year old there's no need for the parent or the daycare worker whomever is working with that child to be alarmed
1: absolutely not mm-hmm. absolutely not um some children cannot say s yes until they're three or four years old. Some children too have s yes. um some children cannot um produce the L properly until four to eight years old. Uh, L comes out wech like a W. Lamp might be wamp. That until they're four and four to eight, that's an okay thing. Um, So sometimes parents or grandparents or people around um, the family will say, I don't understand this child and he needs or she needs to go see a speech therapist. Well, if they don't understand, because there are a lot of errors, yes, that child needs to go to a speech.
0: Just to be monitored, at least?
1: Just to be monitored. Mm -hmm. Um, But most of the time, it's the phonological processes where most of those processes are over at three. So when the child reaches three, speech should be pretty clear except for a few, um, like WAMP for LAMP, and um, the often S is uh, a T, so soup would be dupe. And that's okay at four. That's okay. Uh, but they should not be um, leaving initial consonants like if they say oop instead of soup or toop that's a pro- that can be a problem if it's consistent if it's consistent
0: so when a parent or when a teacher describes a speech behavior or yeah. language behavior to me my question my first question should be how old is the child because certain yes. okay yes. right One other thing that I I enjoy about this particular age range is how children like to play. Now, I I don't know if um, you have a lot of clay Play-Doh here, but I noticed that um, whenever I go to birthday parties for children in this particular age range, I love to get them Play-Doh. And there's something very interesting about Play-Doh. It's malleable. uh, the, The feeling is very, very interesting to very young children. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to watch them play. It has an interesting smell. Um, the colors tend to be very vibrant, but I've noticed that whenever I go over to a house and give a gift of Play-Doh, I don't get invited back, <laughs> especially if they have carpeting. and I've got to figure what that's all about. But um, as they're moving on now, a very interesting uh, age range, I think, is two to three. Now, these are little people. Um, I, again, I'm, uh, is that kind of where you're starting to see kids in this daycare? Two to three is very interesting. They're becoming much more independent. They're learning like crazy. What are some things there that we need to be looking out for in terms of their development, typical development? And, and is there anything that uh, we should be on the lookout for in case there is an actual problem that uh, we need to address or yes. have this, the uh, SLP, the speech-language pathologist, address?
1: Um, by two years old the child should be saying two to four word sentences. Now, we, co- we say sentences um, because they take the form of the English language, subject, verb, object. Um, so it's sentence, even though it would not be an adult complete sentence. Um, they should have numerous one words to make those combinations into two words. And what we're looking for is the type of two-word productions. There should be declarations, like child will usually point and will say tissue or say puzzle. And what they're doing is declaring their naming. Sometimes naming is to check, is that right for that? Or sometimes it's just to say, I want to let you know I know that word. Um, so they they should have quite a uh, developing vocabulary. Um, they should be able to recognize the names of objects and body parts. They could point to body parts, um, point to objects and pictures when um, someone names them. Um should be able to follow simple instructions such as get the book roll the ball simple instructions by the end of three three years the child needs to say more sentence structures i know that um their expressive
0: like well, rather their receptive yep. language is again is much larger than their expressive I understand that receptively, children in this age range tend to have about 900 to 1,000 words. Is that? Receptively. Receptively, right. But they're still not expressing all of that. They tend to have far uh, smaller expressive vocabularies. Is that something that we should be concerned about? Is that typical?
1: That's typical. We should not be concerned um, if they can't say the word. Now, we should look for imitation, and not make the child imitate, please do not do that. But a child might uh, pick up um, a three-year-old, hears, oh, we're gonna go to uh, Disney World. And a child might say, in the car, going, going trip, something like that. Um, they've interpreted, they've heard the word Disney World, they don't know what Disney World is, but they know that we're excited about going and so forth.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, did I hear you correctly? We should not force children to imitate? No, no. Well, how else would they learn?
1: No. Um, You should, as I said early on, reading books is extraordinarily important for developing receptive language and developing the background for speech production and language development. Um, If you are concerned about the production of a word Or a child learning word Use it several times And in a sentence uh, If I'm pointing to the puzzle and say Oh, that's a puzzle about a dog That's another puzzle That puzzle's about Instead of saying, pointing to it and saying That is about a cat You should say that puzzle is about a cat the child needs to hear that word in, um, in position in the English language as much as possible.
0: So we also want to make sure that the child learns words within a meaningful context as opposed to Absolutely. this is a dog, say dog, that sort oh. of thing?
1: I know um, parents have done that and teachers have done that where they hold up objects and say this is an apple, this is a banana, or the flashcards flash are the real objects. Mm-hmm. Um, the child will listen and look but until they hold the banana they eat the banana they hear the word banana over and over and over it's not banananess until they do that in in their head
0: so they need the experience of the banana of the cat of the whatever absolutely. it is as opposed to just um labeling or repeating absolutely mm-hmm.
1: absolutely
0: um if there are any questions from the, the audience right here, please feel free to speak right up. I know you won't be hurt, so we'll repeat the question for you. Now, when I began working with children, um, I did not see them until three to four years old. And, and, and this is a phenomenal age range. Uh, the, they're much more independent. They are separating more easily, I think, from their parents. What are some things here that we should be on the lookout for working with children in terms of their language, in terms of their speech, or other ways of communicating?
1: Uh, in terms of speech, the child should pretty much have the sounds of our language again, except for the S, the T, and the L. Those that, are very those are difficult. Complex. Those are complex, and sometimes shh, the sh is very complex. Speech should be between three and four clear, clearer. Language should be absolutely erupting. Um, sentences should be. A minimum at three of five words. I have worked with a number of children who have, tell stories at three, um, have a really superb command of language.
0: It's interesting. Um, I also know from my own experience with uh, three, especially four-year-olds, they, um, they want to have the, they want to know what things mean. They want details. What's that? Um, and they, they want details in any explanation that you give them of something.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh yes so uh, all along we have been should be using what we call the term the de- determiners the adjectives the adverbs and so forth um so children are picking up this structure in the English language they will also want to, as you said want to know more about their environment and this is a very good time to teach um more vocabulary we know that the the more vocabulary, true meaning vocabulary, a child has, the better their going their um percentage of being able to be good readers is. So a child going into uh, kindergarten should have an uh, extensive vocabulary, um, be able to describe their environment, uh, be able to say, by the time they're five, they should be telling us stories using three to four sentences if not more. Um, They should be creating stories. Um, They should be using their imagination. They should be into symbolic play at at a very detailed stage of symbolic play.
0: Now, many parents might not know what symbolic play is. Uh, Could you explain that to
1: us? Yes. Symbolic play begins around uh, between 1 and 2, and this is where a child might pick up a pen and use it as a spoon to feed their doll or to feed a stuffed animal, and that object has taken on. A function of another object that's the beginning of symbolic play where a child is using something that's not the real item to be um, substituted for some another item when they grow and progress they begin to to play using more creativity using language uh, to explain if they're uh, cooking quotation marks without being in the kitchen and they're they've got an imaginary bowl and they're stirring it uh, with an imaginary spoon that's another step in imaginary play um, till we get up to around the four and fives and they're creating stories in imaginative play and play areas um, sometimes you don't hear a lot of language coming forth but take a look at the detail of um, this story they're acting out. That's important.
0: Now you've mentioned several times that uh, reading stories to children in this age range, actually even younger, is vital. Very important. Now there is a behavior that I'm interested in and maybe you can explain this to us um, where as I'm reading for example or a parent is reading to a child we need that child to focus on the same thing that the teacher is focusing on in the story and even when we're playing with a, a child and an object we need that child to focus on the object that we're focusing on. There are cases where children cannot do that. Is that something that we should be concerned about? Do they refer to that as joint
1: attention? Yes, it's joint attention develops extremely early as infants. And joint attention means that the child is looking at you and you are looking at the child, that's the joint. Um, as you're communicating, you should really try to get joint communication. Now, as a therapist, I have been on the floor, I've moved around, I have done numerous body positions to get that joint attention from a very young child. Uh, Parents should do this because we want that joint attention. Now, attention factors, we don't, a baby is not going to hold that attention very long. That's okay as long as you can get it if you start talking and they turn and they look at you and you've got the joint attention it's when they turn look at you and turn away and that's a consistent behavior or they don't even look at you and that's a consistent behavior that's when we begin to all be extremely concerned about joint communication and the development that's the foundation of the development of communication
0: if we can't if, for some reason, the parent, the teacher, whomever, if we cannot get that joint attention, is that reason for us to be uh, you know, concerned and see to, to, to it, rather, that the child be seen by a developmental Absolutely. specialist?
1: if it's consistent. We all know that kids, sometimes they're so involved in what they're doing, um, they won't turn and look. That's okay. But if it is a consistent thing, mm-hmm. Throughout the day, this is an issue and should be evaluated.
0: Does that mean that the child might have autism? This is something that comes up.
1: That's one of the signs. Mm -hmm. Does not mean that the child has autism. But it is definitely one of the triggers and signs that we better look at autism as a possibility.
0: Now, as the child gets into four and five years old, we're moving more towards kindergarten and more demands academically on the child, what are some things that we should be aware of in terms of their speech, in terms of their language development, and what can teachers do to spur on that language development because there's, they really need to be picking up quickly here because the demands now uh, in terms of the curriculum are much greater than when I was a child.
1: Yes, and what... We really should be listening for as far as language. By the time a child is five, they should be using what we call or used to call straight language sentences, which is subject, object, verb, and modifiers. Then a child early on around three will start superimposing information. Like when we go to grandma's. I can get a piece of cake. When we go to grandma's is an attachment to that main sentence. We should be listening and hearing those. When, who, what. Um, what are you going to do if we get caught in the rain? Or, it's raining, what should we do? That's two sentences. Let me combine them. Um, when it's raining, what are we going to do?
0: So, we're listening for more complex sentences? Much more
1: complex that sentences. Early. That early at five. Now, when sometimes might not come in till five or six. Uh, but who and what and where should be in by four. Now, I'm sure most
0: of the, the teachers here come in contact with parents on a daily basis, I assume. And I guess there are situations where a parent wants to know what he or she can do to create a more language-rich environment at home. What are some things that parents can do to help their child?
1: Uh, I always tell them, talk as much as you can, but be reasonable about the talk. Because now, if, you, if a if you, child hears you talking all the time, blah, 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 they'll tune you out. But talk, wh- what you're doing. If you're going to um, go to the grocery store, Don't just tell the child, let's get in the car and go. Tell the child, we need to go to the grocery store. Mommy needs to get, or daddy needs to get, name two or three items, and it's time to get in the car. Now, that's a sequence story. That's the beginning of a sequence story they're listening to. Sequencing of information is cognitively very important. So, talking in short sequences, um, making sure you use vocabulary that the child knows, and introduce new vocabulary. And I'll give an instance of um, my my own daughter. When she was little, I had said something, oh, I'm going to go dye my hair. And she started crying, and she started, oh, mommy, don't do that, don't do that. Well, it turns out in her um, preschool, they had had a pet that died. So her understanding was our initial definition of dying. You flop over. Um, so it, it was a good time for me to say, oh, that, there's a different meaning for this. It's the same sound, but it's a different meaning, and this is what it means. Then she was okay. But we have to... Uh, Use those opportunities to develop secondary meanings for the older children. Um, that's the depth of vocabulary that we want, not just first-level first definition. So
0: that's very interesting because I think uh, in just listening to some of the children here as I set up today, they're at that stage. They, they really have in their heads one meaning of a word. And it's on us to listen and uh, figure out that they need additional, um, some expansion of their their understanding. Now, I do know that some parents feel that it is important to talk to children, but as I observe them talking, they're doing all the talking. Absolutely. Uh, Now, please address that. I've been in situations where, for example, I'm waiting uh, to pay for something, and people behind me are talking to their child, and I don't hear the child talking at all. The parent is just doing all this auditory bombardment. And uh, I don't get a chance to hear what the child can do. Do you have some advice for parents? And I've I've noticed that sometimes in teachers. They really do think that they are helping by inputting language, inputting speech. But is there some other way that they can do that where the child gets a chance to show what he or she knows?
1: Yes. There is a wonderful um, language center in Canada, in Toronto, Canada, called the Hannon Center. And they have something they call OWL. Observe, wait, and listen. So after you have talked to the child, stop. Give them a chance to respond to you. The wait is, the observe is actually observe what... Are they going to talk about the same thing? Are they talking about something else? Shift with that child. Don't demand that they talk about what you want. So you
0: mean actually follow the child's interests?
1: Follow the child's interest. Wait. Give them a chance to talk. Listen to what they say. And then respond again with, uh, with your own language for the language input. So it's very important to listen to the children, Uh, observe, wait, and listen.
0: So it's very interesting you say that because uh, so many of us who work in education, we have our plan, we have our agenda, and uh, if the child deviates from that, we feel we've got to pull that child back to what we were uh, planning to discuss. But you're saying that it's a totally different way of uh, training uh, speech and language. Sometimes it's
1: necessary to do what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. It depends on the situation. Um, there was a wonderful book. I can't remember who is the author. Um, it's. It says, the title is, Teacher While You Were Talking, the um, flower on the windowsill just died. So the meaning of that whole book was, look, something tragic or something wonderful just happened. Can't we Pay attention to that for a few minutes and then come back to our story. So, it, And it also mm-hmm. depends on what type of children you are working with. If you're working with normally developing children, they can go to something different and come back to the topic. If you're working with language-delayed children or learning disabled children of a certain type, that shift is not important. They can't do that shifting.
0: Mm-hmm. Are there any questions from the, the audience here? At the center. There was one question, just a little louder. Um, the speech with the two different languages, like uh, the child, that, the, the incident you were saying with the child. I've noticed in public schools that when they have children that speak a different language, they kind of always send them to special ed. Is there something that teachers can do okay. Okay. I, need, I think I need to repeat that because I don't think it got picked up. You're concerned about the child who has two different languages and somehow a child, just because the child has two different languages, is, is put into speech therapy? Is that appropriate?
1: In general, unless that child has been tested in English and their native language and the, if, if whoever's testing, the evaluators... If there is a difference in the language, it's probably a development of the English versus the other language. If there is a difference, then let's not worry about it. But if there are the same mistakes in both languages, then there is a language disorder or development issue. So if the child has no problem in Spanish
0: but has problems in English, we're talking more of an ESL issue as opposed to speech path? Absolutely. That was a good question. Thank you. Yeah. Is there another question? Well, I would like to thank the Children's Learning Center for inviting us here. This has been a wonderful experience. I I really want to thank Dr. Giordano for arranging this on-location event. I would like to thank... Uh, Dr. Yakobachi for spending time with us. And I would like to thank the teachers of the Children's Learning Center because I've heard nothing but wonderful things about mm-hmm. this program from one of my colleagues whose grandson comes here. Uh, keep up the good work. If you have any questions or comments about this program, this episode, or others in the Easy Speak podcast, uh, feel free to click on the link, the comments link, and uh, send your question in. I'll try to get uh, right back to you as soon as possible. And um, tune in next time for more information about speech and language needs among children. And that's a wrap.